Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to show number 246 from Engage for Success. I'm Jo Moffat. I'm um, host for today's show, and I'm really looking forward to the next 30 minutes and um, um, what I'm sure is going to be a, a stimulating and uh, exciting conversation. We've got my guest today is Sue Palfrey. Sue is Head of Internal Communications with the National Trust, and we're going to be talking about internal communication and how it aligns with and is, is, is totally really integrated with the concept of employee engagement. So, so welcome to the show, Sue. Hello, thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a um, big honour. I mean, well, we saw, we'll, we'll talk about you, you in a little bit, but I, I, I noticed that last year you'd won the um, Institute of Internal Comms, um, Internal Communications, Internal Communicator of the Year um, Award. Yeah. And uh, so it seems um, only, only right that we should afford an invitation to you to come on and talk about that. So it's, uh, you know, it's great to have you here. We're, we're all still buzzing at Engage for Success, actually, after last week's um, Engage for Success conference on Thursday. Um, it, was a, it was an absolute cracker of an event. I think probably record numbers of, of delegates came. Uh, we were at the QE2 oh. conference centre in Westminster and we had such a fabulous wow. array of speakers, really, really excellent ones. And it was very much talking about um, the sense that kind of came through really in so many of the speakers was that the, the time has come and that we really need to start upping the ante about recognising the link between an engaged workforce and productivity and that as a country, Fantastic. you know, our whole productivity issue is one that is going to hold us back increasingly, particularly given what's coming down the track for us as a, as a country and an economy. And we really do need to start getting engagement um, uh, and commitment of our people um, to that and getting it right. Uh, so it was, yeah, it was a really, really good, good session actually. So um, I know we're going to good. be touching on some of these things t- today. So I'm, I'm very pleased to have you with us. So to, um, Sue, let, let's just kick off a little bit with about you. Can you tell our listeners a little about your, your professional background? Yeah, of course. Okay. So um, I started off in sales and marketing mm-hmm. um, and ended up in a role in Virgin and worked very, very closely with uh, what would then have been the marketing communications team um, mm-hmm. it was only tiny and they um, really lit my fire actually for great employee communications and I can't really think of a better place to have learnt about employee engagement and what it feels like to work in a culture that really puts it people at the heart of everything that they do than virgin Mm. You hear so much about the Virgin brand and Branson's ethics and mm. uh, living it and being part of that workforce was, was quite a privilege, actually. So that's where I first um, experienced a communications role. And then because it was such a vibrant brand, because it was such an exciting thing to be thinking about people first rather than shareholders or customers, uh, mm. that's when I uh, first. Uh, began my career in internal communications and started to look at how do I become qualified, how do I um, build a network, how do I increase my understanding of what internal communications really is. So I spent eight Mm -hmm. years doing that role for Virgin and it was all sorts of things from um, brand uh, products, campaigns through to big transformation projects and change projects, Mm -hmm. um, mergers and acquisitions. And then after 
after my time at Virgin, I moved into an agency called Home, which is a Bristol-based agency who um, consult on all things to do with employee engagement and internal communications. And it was one of the only ones around uh, at the time. And that gave me a really good uh, opportunity to do lots of different things with lots of different clients. So anybody from Royal Mail to BP to all the banks just after Mm -hmm. the financial crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hershey, mm-hmm. the chocolate company in America. Um, I mean, there were so many, and it just felt like a real crash course in all things to do with internal communications and employee engagement. And then um, left there just to get my dream job, which was this one, the head of communi- internal communications at the National Trust. And I don't right. think there's any other job that could have tempted me away right. at that time. Right. So that's really? my background. That's fabulous. So, so um, I think while you were doing your qualifications, I think you you did the you did the postgrads, didn't you? Is that something you did when you were did. At, at home, or was that at Virgin, or was that being while you were at Virgin? Virgin. That was at Virgin. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, that was at Virgin because they were brilliant at so you know uh, funding development for people yeah. and yeah. Um, understanding that if you invest in your people, you're going to get the best out of them. So I was right. um, lucky enough to benefit from funding for that, mm. um, but mm-hmm. it stood me in good stead. And I'm I'm hoping to get the masters um, at some point as well when that comes back online. So right, um, All I know right. the Institute of Internal Comms is doing that. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, it'll be good to see. So let, that really leads us beautifully. Almost, almost say you were a professional communicator where you segued <laughs> from that into the, my next question, really, which was going to be just to, you know, I've, I've touched on it already that you you won the Internal Communicator of the Year award last year from the from the IOIC. It must have you must have been really chuffed about that, given your obvious passion for the subject. Oh, wow. So how did how did that come about? How what's the sort of process for that? Do you do you have to sort of enter or do you get a tap on the shoulder? It was well. That one was a tap on the shoulder, but mm-hmm. um, which was a real fall off my chair moment when I read the email <laughs> when it came through. But um, leading right. up to that point, there was a, you know all the years that I've been involved in internal communications, I've tried to positively advocate for internal communications and um, you know demonstrate good practice. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. increase our profile through social media and earlier in the year we'd um, won the Lean Team of the Year award for in- the Institute of Internal Communication so we'd submitted that award and uh-huh. that along with just working very closely with the Institute and writing blogs and getting mm. involved and mm. showcasing things I think just um, led them to see what I was trying to do so a yes, little bit of both, yes. I'd say. Yeah, I, I do remember seeing actually about your Lean Team of the Year award. That was so. Last year was a was a pretty good year for you all in all, wasn't it? It was great. Yeah, it was a brilliant yeah. year actually. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so tell us a little bit then about the National Trust, your dream job. Um, yeah. What are the what are the how's it structured? What are the, and what are the, perhaps some of the particular challenges that that you face there? Yeah, so most people are familiar with the National Trust, I think, particularly in, mm. the, in the UK. Um, for those of you that, that don't know, it's a UK-based conservation charity. Um, we're not, so we've got um, presence in Northern Ireland, Wales and England. The National Trust Scotland is separate. Mm-hmm. So 
on the surface, it looks like we're quite small, which you would see as a benefit from a communication perspective. But in reality, we are a very complex matrixed organization in that we do lots of different things to um, meet our purpose of conservation. So we've got retail outlets, coffee shops. Most people will know us for for the tea and cream teas. Um, We're a visitor business, so we create brilliant experiences for people. Um, We're part museum with our collections. We own a huge amount of land as well. So we look after land from coast to castles, to parks, to gardens, through to beautiful lake district areas. So we do a lot of things, and that makes the role quite complicated. Um, We're about... 12,000 staff at max, but that flexes Mm -hmm. between 6,000 off-peak, so in your winter Mm -hmm. months, for example, up to Mm -hmm. 12,000 in the summer and Easter. So we've got a lot of seasonal transient staff as well, which adds Mm -hmm. to the complexity of tenured Mm -hmm. employees. Mm -hmm. And then we Mm -hmm. have a a magnificent, um, we call them an army of volunteers, Mm -hmm. and we've got 65,000 of those. And they, yeah, it's huge. And they could do anything from an hour every fortnight through to a significant number of hours during a week. Um, Mm. The complexity of what we do means that um, our people tend to be offline. And when I say offline, I don't just mean they're switching their mobiles off for a minute. I mean, there's probably no signal if you think mm. about a castle or a, or the Lake District or the Peak District, mm-hmm. there's no signal, mm-hmm. no broadband. Um, volunteers don't want to be plugged in, if you like, mm-hmm. at all to mm-hmm. the organisation. So it's small but very complicated as an organisation to communicate to. Yeah, I can um, imagine. And, and you're, you're, you cover the whole gamut, do you, Sue? Yeah, I mean, we do. So volunteers are slightly different in that um, we work very much through the volunteer managers mm-hmm. because they they aren't members of staff, so they're and they, they don't want to be, you know, really. Mm. They, so they don't mm. have an email address or anything like that. Um, so we work very closely with the volunteer managers to reach those. And it's interesting because volunteers are very much connected. They have a different psychology for volunteering with the National Trust. And research shows that they'll be very, very passionate, very emotionally engaged with the place that they volunteer mm-hmm. for, rather mm-hmm. than staff who are much more connected with a wider national trust as well. So okay. to different behaviours and psychology. Yeah. In there so as very well. much more local, a local engagement. Yeah. I engage with. I mean, if it's me, Scotney Castle in Kent is my yes. local national trust site, and I'd engage with that perhaps rather than the coastal path in absolutely uh, yeah Wales or wherever yeah yeah yeah, yeah. got you yeah. okay so it's, that's it's quite a that's, community that's quite a challenge mm. Mm, absolutely so yeah. so over that career that you you spelt out to us what and and perhaps thinking about you know this complex area that you're now working in what what have been some of the biggest changes that you've seen and how how have those changes sort of made what you do now easier or perhaps harder Okay, yeah. So I think it's interesting what you said at the beginning of the call about um, the time is now for people to really understand the link between um, an engaged workforce and and real benefits to the organisation. I see that that has become more apparent over Mm -hmm. the last 
few years. And there mm-hmm. are some brilliant pieces of research done out there um, that people can get hold of to sort of give the evidence around that. But there's there's a definite emphasis now on the link between what is the benefit of great communication to having an engaged workforce? What mm-hmm. does that do in terms of how you satisfy customers, which then has that um, benefit back to the organization? Um, I think in the last few years, people have moved from being passive recipients of a corporate broadcast message and they've moved much more into a space of uh, they they want to know more about what their organization is up to. They mm-hmm. want to know much more about how it operates, particularly after the you know financial crisis of 10 sure. years ago. They want yeah. to know that they're working for an organization that's ethical. And I think they want to really feel that they've got a voice. And I think that, that voice is, is really coming through strongly over the last few years, they want to be able to contribute back to their organization, not just clock in, do their nine mm. to five, go home. Mm. Um, mm. And I think people want a greater sense of purpose, actually. Yeah. Um, they, they don't want to just be lining the pockets of fat cats anymore. They want to mm. know that their organization is giving something back or they're, they're part of something more meaningful. Mm. Mm. Um, and I think, Thing. All of that has helped internal comms move from quite a tactical uh, channels messaging function to something that is now being seen as much more strategic and powerful uh, for an organization. And of course, on top of that as well, um, with the rise of the iPhone, the smartphone, um, internal, external, sort of social media, the, the lines are blurring all the time between what is really internal anymore and and actually not very much is internal anymore because Mm. everything can end up external yes those would be my biggest changes i think okay okay and i guess given the given the structure and the complexity of the workforce is the national trust that you outline that that wishing to share voice um and have a voice and have a say you you have to facilitate that quite it, you know, it must be quite a challenge given that a lot of those people are offline and and not necessarily working more than an hour a fortnight or something but they still they still expect to be able to contribute and be listened to don't they they absolutely do and uh, we, we've got you know different speeds like most organizations and we have to really make sure that we're progressing but also not moving forward at a pace that alienates people um we've got to make sure that we're making time for conversations actually not just cascade um particularly with the volunteers or particularly with people that don't um get so much messaging from the center if you like so when we're trying to do something a little bit bolder a little bit more radical or something that might veer away from what people have perceived as the traditional national trust it's really important that the communication is more around uh, time for managers to have conversations, let people talk about the questions they might have, concerns they might have, being able to take them through a journey rather than just expecting them to toe the corporate line, if you like. Mm. And, you know, we've we've had experience of that in the last year and huge lessons have been learned I think particularly around how we make time to reach our volunteer community and make sure they understand what we're doing and why we're doing it because they are so connected so passionately connected to 
their place and their bit of the National Trust, that they they find it quite hard to understand if we're doing something that um, is at odds with, with what they believe the National Trust should be. So that's what mm. we're really taking forward in 2018. It's all conversations yeah. rather than, yeah. you know, anything with it. It's not an app. It's people. Um, treating <laughs> it's people, people like it's adults. People. It's yeah. people, and that was yeah. the theme of the conference last week, putting people at the heart of business, you know, and the people, Brilliant. people are not the problem, they very often hold in their hands the solutions, and it's interesting you were yeah. talking about conversations, not just a cascade, and I guess you must have to proactively really work hard for that, because if you are, if you are using the managers to get to the volunteers, then inevitably, if you're not careful, it can become just a cascade, can't it? You've got to try and create some means by which you gather that or enable that conversation to be a two-way thing rather than just a a cascade. But of course, as you said, those volunteers are so crucial because for most people in this country, it's those 65,000 people in your army who are the face of the National Trust, aren't they? And that's who they they think of. Exactly, exactly. It. And they're so important for us. Um, I think it's interesting now where you talk about voice. It's, it's really interesting how I hear people use voice as a, a kind of tick box as well. Mm-hmm. So when they, you know, voice, they, they know they've got to include voice, they see it almost as feedback, whereas yeah. we need to drive an understanding that true voice is very much you know the engage for success definition which is it isn't just feedback it isn't just having listening sessions or creating an email inbox for people to complain to it's about getting people involved at the beginning of something or helping yeah. them to shape an outcome or to shape you know to problem solve essentially and I think that's still something we need to um as internal communications professionals uh, really embed across organisations because I do see so much of it as just being feedback back up to the hierarchy rather mm. than true mm. voice. Mm. Absolutely. And, you, you know, just in terms of what you've been talking about, you've been really touching on the, the four enablers of Engage for Success. You talked about people needing a greater sense of purpose. You know, obviously you talked about the role of managers um, and, and talked about employee voice as well. And I, I guess, I mean, mm. that leads on to another point, which which I think is something that I know you're very interested about, which is the fact that actually your people have got a voice externally as well when it comes to yeah. this crossover between is it internal or is it external comms, you know, in terms of reputation. Do you want to expand upon that a little bit, Sue? Yeah, I do. I think we've, um, when I say we, I think the communications profession is still very slow to catch up on the true power that uh, employees, staff and volunteers um, can have on an organization's reputation. Um, I think we do see them, we treat them very much as advocates and as those customer touch points, like you mentioned just now. I think we've still not quite got a grip on how important they could be in terms of either damaging the reputation of an organization or protecting the reputation of an organization. And I saw this absolutely fascinating research recently by Ipsos Mori that was done a couple of years ago mm-hmm. that um, showed that if people see a negative headline or hear bad press about an organization, if they hear the counter story from somebody that works for that organization, they will believe 
that person over the headlines. And I think that's really powerful. And I don't think we've quite um, kind of um, harnessed that, actually. And I think far too much time is spent uh, focusing on what are the external messages and how do we manage external messages without really understanding that our people are the external message now. And they hold all of that power in their hand. It just takes one tweet. It just takes one whistleblowing call, as we've seen recently, mm. um, with mm. a couple of yeah. other charities yes. as well. And, you know, your, your organization is in a, a whole heap of pain, sometimes for the right reasons, but sometimes it can, you know, it could be a, a slight misunderstanding. And then it's really difficult to pull that back. And I think until we start treating our people in the same way with the same amount of attention that we give, you know, PR, if there's a bad media headline or, you know, focus all our energy onto the press team when there's a bad headline, then I, I think we'll always struggle to catch up. So that's something mm. I'm definitely waving the flag for. So, yeah, absolutely. The communications profession. Yeah. Okay. Good. Now, you know, as always with our shows, we, we get incredibly uh, involved in our conversations and never seem to have enough time. And I know this is going to happen today because we've got some, we're just we're just sort of getting into this and it's lovely, but we haven't really got an awful lot of time left. We've got a, got a few, fair few minutes, but not a huge amount. So I'm going to just jump ahead a little bit, if I may, um, yeah. soon. Just, just talk about your sort of a, your view, because um, I, I heard the other day from um, a, a contact of mine who was telling me about an organization that was entirely getting rid of their internal communication function um they they were getting rid of it because they felt or their ceo felt that actually internal communication should be everybody's responsibility so i was yeah. just going to ask you what you think about that or whether, and and or whether you should think whether you think every organization should have a dedicated internal comms person, you know, kind of where does the responsibility lie? What's your what's your take on that? Well, my my take would be that it's everybody's responsibility, um, but they also need to understand their specific role in it. So, you know, a leader's uh, leaders need to role model communication. They need to repeat the strategic narrative. They need to be consistent. They need to listen and allow voice. You know, managers need to be the conduit, and staff also need to understand they need to be proactive about communications mm-hmm. not just recipients um so it is everybody's responsibility but i think there should always be somebody who is passionate about internal communications acting as the guardian of mm-hmm. um the, mm-hmm. the culture and infrastructure across an organization otherwise uh, it's very easily overlooked everybody thinks they're great at communication um everyone's a critic <laughs> Yeah. Um, but having somebody that cares about it means that there's always energy on it, always attention on it, and they can keep abreast of, you know, continual innovation and research and evidence and best practice because communication is fluid and it mm-hmm. changes on a daily basis. So Absolutely. a hybrid. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. I mean, I ground I know, no, I don't think I think that's about right because I think it is. A, you know, everyone has a responsibility to communicate effectively, particularly those who are in line manager or team leader roles, don't they? But you've got to have somebody who can look at the thing as a whole and and take a kind of bigger picture view. And it's it's in a way it's a bit like saying, well, we we don't need a finance director because we've got everybody's you know treats our money carefully and you know, everybody has a 
has a has a an account spreadsheet on it. You know, it's I'm being a bit flippant, yeah. but you know, it, it, yeah, I yeah. think you're right. It is a it is a balance. Now, you um you've obviously um. So, so that takes us on really to, to to the extent to which internal communication professionals such as yourself get taken seriously by leadership teams because clearly that example I was talking about they they felt not you you've got yourself qualified you've invested in your career um, that's obviously been something you you believe passionately in is is part of the reason perhaps that people don't take the function as seriously as they might at a senior level because not everybody does invest in their career in that way or there's a or 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 what's your view on that one Sue? um i think investing in your career builds your own confidence as well and particularly in in organizations that have quite a strong academic focus such as the national trust i think having backup of qualifications is always very helpful mm. um i think i think what would help internal communications get taken even more seriously is always go, I think there's a great quote by Fitzpatrick in his book, which is about um, arrival data, lever of respect or something like that. So always have research measurement and evidence to back up your case because communication is very subjective. And, you know, internal communications in particular was seen as the fluffy communication discipline sort of 20 Mm. years ago. Mm. So always come with your evidence, come with your knowledge and insight um, because nobody else will have that. And I think um, there's something for internal communicators to always show up and be bold as well and to be the voice and the conscience of the wider workforce. And that's really important. So you've just got to go with a lot of energy and you've got to not worry about challenging things. And Mm. I think that's how you can build um, respect among senior teams as well um, and I think we've just we've got a job to reflect the strategic function that we are and not mm-hmm. get sucked into the tactical stuff um, right quite so I, much. I love that I love that sense of show up and be bold I think um, you know I, I think you have a responsibility to be the voice and conscience of the wider workforce I've just written that down I think that's a lovely that's yeah. a lovely concept but presumably though that comes with experience and um uh, you know something you develop over your professional career doesn't it yeah um, i mean there's lots and lots of i mean internal communicators are the most friendly networked chatty helpful bunch you can ever come <laughs> across so in that respect we're really lucky as a profession so the institute of internal communications does mentoring schemes it does brilliant training courses um, pitched at all different levels the CIPR also do them and um, both of those organizations offer CPD as well but um, Twitter LinkedIn is full of people that just want to share um, Mm. things that they've seen and found so there's a lot of information out there you've got to take responsibility for your own career and, and hook up with people and you know make contact and and be bold in that as well. Um, you're not going to learn just by being sat behind one desk in one organisation. So mm. go out mm. there and be hungry for it. And, and over mm. time, yes, it just becomes intuitive, really. Build a breadth, build a breadth of expertise, mm. and get and so so that you can be taken seriously and and 
Uh, but I do love yeah. that show. I can be bold. I think that's great. So, so yeah. you don't then live in any fear that um, the future is is going to be one where you're you're going to be put out to grass in favour of bots and artificial intelligence. You you'd be confident there's still a role for the the human being in all of this, would you, Sue? I absolutely do. It's it's meet to Clark's mantra, isn't it? It's all about the people, stupid. And you know, we yeah. we love Lisa. She's she's said that quite a few times at some of our internal conferences and people respond to people you know gadgets and and tech is brilliant for some things but ultimately people need we thrive on relationships so I'm confident the bots aren't taking over just yet just yet (laughs) no well that I hope so too I mean we are we are social animals basically aren't we I mean you know going way back to the old roaming the savannas and uh, back in back in prehistory and so on so okay Uh, we've just got we've got less than less than two minutes left too so um what one thing um would you like listeners to take away that they can make a difference to the their own internal communication in their own organizations really you know from from tomorrow oh goodness me um definitely think about true voice and what does that mean in terms of involving people from the beginning in helping you with a problem or becoming Mm -hmm. a solution and i think don't ever underestimate the power of your people and either the advantages or the uh, slightly less advantages that they can give you in terms of that external coverage and external interaction. But people are magnificent, so, you know. People are magnificent if you let them be. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, give them the opportunity to prove that you're you're right. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's great. Trust them. Lovely. Thank you so much, Sue. It's romped by. I knew it would. And I've had to cut out lots of things I wanted to talk about. Maybe I'll have to get you back another time and we could do all the all the other things that I wanted to Love ask you about. So um, so to. thank you so much for joining us. It's, it's been great to have you. And um, you know, let's hope 2018 is another great year for you in your profession as well. So um, and thank just you. As, far as our listeners are concerned, we don't have a show next Monday. Um, it's, uh, it's Easter Monday, but we're back on air on the 9th of April uh, when we'll be doing a bit of a retrospective at last week's record-breaking Engage for Success conference. And I've got Executive Director Cathy Brown with me, and we'll be sharing some of the sound bites from the from the day's uh, event. So tune in for that. Otherwise, thank you very much, everyone, for listening and Sue for joining us. Thank you. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.